Well, I'm here with uh, Father Romanus Cesario. He is a professor of moral theology at St. John's Seminary in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, an author and theologian. I just wanted to ask you some questions, uh, and just for the layman, and some things that um, maybe some common errors we see today in approach to moral theology. Um, one topic I wanted to talk about was conscience. Um, what is a, a typical distortion in our culture of our understanding of conscience, and what's the Catholic vision? Well, thank you, Father Mark, and allow me to thank you publicly for the warm Franciscan welcome that you extended to your Dominican brother. <laughs> it is true, there are uh, serious distortions of the notion of conscience and the role it plays in the moral life. The principal distortion uh, was indicated by Pope St. John Paul II in his 1993 encyclical, Veritatis Splendor. There he pointed out that conscience can only be understood rightly within a Catholic context when it is put together with objective moral truth. Many people, including some theologians, unfortunately, pretend that conscience can provide for an individual an exception to living the truth, to observing God's law. They do this because conscience within the Catholic tradition is closely associated with the uniqueness of the human person. One often hears the expression, I can't act against my conscience. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that one can't act against one's conscience. He assumes a properly formed conscience, but truth to be told, he also says that if a conscience is not well formed, a man must follow his conscience, a person must follow his or her conscience. And this gives a um, moment for pause, it surprises many people, and leads many people to think that St. Thomas favors an individualistic, subjective notion of conscience, where conscience can trump the moral law. There is nothing more wrong than that view in itself, and indeed ascribed to St. Thomas Aquinas. What people who th think that they are following Aquinas or who hold for a subjective notion of conscience fail to observe is also pointed out by Pope John Paul II in Veritatis Splendor. Namely, even if you think a bad thing is right, you may escape subjective culpability, but you do not escape the bad effects of bad actions. Uh, take the common example. There are people who think that it's uh, right to steal from the rich to give to the poor. Uh, 
common child stories such as uh, Robin Hood that uh, published uh, movies and books. Most Robin Hood is praised for that. It's a consequentialist argument, but there are many consciences formed to think that Robin Hood was a hero. He wasn't. He was a sinner. Why? Because uh, that particular act of uh, robbing, by which we mean violently dispossessing someone of his riches, goes against the overall common good that, in fact, as the Catechism says, respects uh, private property, and that the remedy for helping the poor is not to commit theft or to violate the Seventh Commandment. All right. <clears throat> Let's also talk about, you know, the Catechism speaks of, in, in examining a moral act, the, the object, the intention, the circumstance, all three have to be good to be a good moral act. And some of the distortions I hear today, too, <clears throat> is trying to change the object. It's like that a person's knowledge or conscience can actually, that's what I'm hearing, the object itself. But that is objective, it's independent, right, of our intention or well, maybe the circumstance can change it to some degree. But do you see that error today? Well, uh, again, Veritatis Splendor made uh, this teaching abundantly clear. Remember this encyclical, which I would encourage people to look at, uh, provides the first time the church had to authoritatively magisterial teach about fundamental moral principles. Mm -hmm. In the past, she taught morals by condemning certain actions, specific actions. Mm -hmm. This is an encyclical about moral principles. And the uh, first mistake uh, that you have pointed out in your description of errors that people fall into is again, it's the Robin Hood mistake. Mm. His intention to do good did not override the badness of robbery. And the encyclical points out, a good intention may increase the merit of a good act. Mm -hmm. For example, I give money to the poor uh, because I uh, want to be thought of by my pastor as a uh, generous benefactor of the church, or I give money to the poor anonymously because for the love of God and for the love of the poor and for the love of Christ's sacrifices. Those intentions can add to the worthiness of an object, which would be to give money to the poor. But a bad intention subverts the object. So good intentions can only make an a, a good act better. They can never justify bad acts. Many examples are given mm -hmm. where people find this difficult. The, most, the classic one is do you lie to the occupying forces who are searching, for example, to commit genocide, the famous Anne Frank 
case. Mm -hmm. uh, can the woman uh, commit adultery with a prison guard in the hopes of getting out? And so there are many, many uh, s sophistic, really, uh, problems raised that cause people to stumble on this, good people. And, it's t and the fact of the matter is no good intention can perfect a bad act and uh, no uh, but a bad intention can subvert a good act. For example, Christ himself gives the example. I give money to the poor now to be seen by others, mm -hmm. which is to be distinguished from wanting to cooperate, for example, with the pastor's appeal to help the poor and to be mm -hmm. seen as an upright and faithful member of a parish mm -hmm. community. So the question, the relation now, the problem is people have a hard time identifying what the object of an act is, um, but some of them are very uh, simple. For example, recent discussions, you know, about uh, marital fidelity. No one has any difficulty identifying what adultery is. It's marital relations with a woman to whom you're not married. Uh, that object is well known. People understand the object of theft when someone breaks into their house and takes the things that do not belong to them, to which they don't have title. Um, <coughs> so the most uh, the objects simply correspond to the commandments, right. to the virtues. Right. There are complex cases that need special analysis. Uh, for example, um, just uh, just war and why. Engagement in just war and even killing in just war is not murder. Mm -hmm. And there are two explanations, two traditional ones. One, of course, is that uh, the goodness uh, of the soldier is to win the battle. Mm. Uh, another is uh, that, in this case, fine, it's an act of self-defense. There are two, two ways uh, that Theologian has explained it today, but in both cases, um, the explanations eliminate just war as uh, a matter of, uh, as equivalent to murder. Whether murders can be committed within the context of a just war is another question. And we know they can, but we also know that uh, just nations uh, address those, those deficiencies. So objects, you know, if, don't get thrown by the word object. Just think of the commandments and what it says uh, to do and not to do. Or think of the virtues and you'll come mm -hmm. up with all the objects. Right. And intention and object is simple. A good intention perfects a good act, mm -hmm. but a bad intention can subvert it. And no intention, <laughs> good or bad, <laughs> can change a, a bad moral object. Mm. And the same is true for circumstances. The circumstances are, m are more difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's not the circumstances are more difficult. Some circumstances can change the object of an act. The old theologians talked about transient in rationum objecti. And the classic example would be theft of a sacred object. People don't yeah. think today so much about well, uh, let's take a clear example. Theft of the Eucharist, but it would apply to theft of a consecrated mm -hmm. chalice. Theft of the Eucharist. Yes, uh, that's stealing, but that's stealing 
which because of the circumstance, here the circumstance is, what did I steal? I didn't steal your pen or your tape mm -hmm. recorder mm -hmm. here. That's not a tape recorder, I know, mm -hmm. but it's the recorder mm -hmm. here. You didn't steal that, you stole the Blessed Sacrament. That becomes sacrilege. We have a new object here. We mm -hmm. actually have two objects, but it's a sacrilegious theft. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can multiply those examples. So circumstances right. can change an object, but circumstances can never excuse a bad object, uh, much like a good intention changing a bad right. object. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the classic example of um, the best and classic example is the example of the saints. Um, I love my faith, but I never thought someone would uh, challenge me to the point of threatening to take my life mm. if I don't deny my faith. Mm. Well, we call that martyrdom. That's a remark. That's you know, that's a sanctification, the highest sanctification. No one can say I'm a serious Catholic, but I found myself among people who want to kill Catholics, and so right. I apostatized. Right. This happened in the in the Reformation in many mm -hmm. places, and many of those apostles. This, this is there are stories of this throughout history, including stories of saints. There's a famous story of a Dominican saint, little known, who uh, went on a missionary trip to North Africa, and under the hardships of the of, uh, the, the, of dealing with the Islamic uh, peoples, uh, fell away from the faith and from his religious profession. He was a priest, and um, and married a woman in North Africa and began to take up a secular life. He was a student of St. Antoninus of Florence, who was a great Dominican saint, a contemporary of, I think, Bernardine of Siena, but don't hold me to that. Mm. Um, and uh, there was a miracle. Undoubtedly, St. Antoninus was praying for this man because he knew about it. And, it mm. and when he got word that St. Antoninus had died, he was so struck with compunction, a grace, by the way, mm -hmm. he, he gave up the wife and he presented himself uh, uh, to the Islamic authorities, who of course martyred him, uh, because from their point of view, he apostatized from Islam. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, moral theology is more complex than most people realize which is why there are so many distinctions in it, <laughs> and people need to seek counsel from well-advised persons. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the history of Veritatis Splendor, like how it was written, who was in charge of that, and well, its reception. Well, the Pope was in charge <laughs> of it. Um, pope St. John Paul II lived through a history uh, which, th and therefore was a first-hand witness to the w history, and uh, recognized that some directions in the church needed correction. Roughly it goes like this. Uh, the church's moral discipline, which some people still practice, if for example they read St. Alphonsus Liguri, they read some, uh, I would call them, classical, very classical moral theologians who rely on the casuist tradition. But for the most part, and I myself lived through this, 
The casuist tradition, which was the moral theological tradition before the Second Vatican Council, disappeared almost overnight between 19. About a 400-year tradition of moral thinking disappeared. And we know that because their books disappeared. Right. As a young priest, I was asked to come back for examination on cases in which we discussed more difficult cases than I've brought up here and what to do with them. And there were different opinions and so forth. That practice disappeared. By the way, the Franciscans were big on uh, helping with that. Uh, mm -hmm. In any case, the, uh, that, that disappeared roughly between 65 and 68. I say 68 because that signals the rejection of Humani Vitae. And it was really, in my judgment, I was a student of theology at the time, it was the rejection of, of Paul VI Humani Vitae that triggered a more widespread um, reaction against classical moral theology. And unfortunately, it left um, people uh, at the mercy of theorists mm. instead of saints. And some of the questions you posed to me, uh, uh, and it saddens me to know that these theorists have still have their effect 50 years later, mm. but they do, some of those theorists were dead wrong. Mm. Uh, proportionalism being the first, the prime candidate, fundamental option, second, consequentialism and utilitarianism coming next. Mm -hmm. the th and some theorists of conscience were wrong, mm -hmm. as I alluded to in our earlier discussion. And uh, the 25 year period between 68 and 93 was a very bad time for the church. I would take the opportunity uh, to note many people have been saddened by the reports from uh, Pennsylvania report about the catalog of sins of priests. Uh, it has been documented by the John Jay uh, study, which was done by an independent secular law uh, School of Law in New York. The bishops commissioned it in 2002. It appeared, I believe, in 2004. You can look at the chart in one minute and see that uh, the biggest number of these abuses occurred during the 70s and the 80s, the two mm -hmm. decades, which coincided, unfortunately, in the secular culture with the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. and its progressive hold on our culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same thing was going on around the world, especially the Western world at least. So John Paul II said, we have 25 years now um, with, you know, where the church's moral teachings have been badly served by what I call theorists. That means bad theologians is a nice term for mm -hmm. it. And uh, he said, we've got to do something about it. He announced it almost seven, I forget, he announced it a good seven years before, I mean, I think he announced it in the, in the late 80s, when he visited the tomb of St. Alphonsus Liguri, who's the patron of moral mm. theology. But now the weakness of casuistry, what is the weakness well, there? Well, would you allow me to return to it? I just want okay. to say that's what inaugurated Veritatis Splendor. Right. And what um, then prompted him to do something that had never been done in the history of the church, which is to write an encyclical about basic moral principles. Oh, I see. The weakness of casuistry, uh -huh. well, um, you read as if there's, um, should study the, the work of 
Father Sive Pincus. He was a Dominican at Freiburg. Uh, he has a thick book called The Sources of Christian Ethics. And there's a shortened version of it called Morality, which is suitable for almost any level of Catholic uh, instruction. Those books are available at Amazon. Pinke as P-I-N-C-K-A-E-R-S. He's a Belgian Dominican. And he, in fact, uh, fine. Popes write encyclicals. He's helped by other people. I would say Father Serve Pinke has helped Pope St. John Paul II a great deal uh, in the composition of the third part of the Catechism, which is the moral teaching, which, if you look at it, corresponds to the outline of St. Thomas Aquinas's work on moral theology, which we call the second part of the Summa. And he's a critique. Uh, he has a critique of casuistry, which um, is very profound. Um, and he, sh above all, he shows why casuistry uh, departed from the great Christian tradition stemming from the New Testament, the first millennium, and the first 1500 years roughly up to the Reformation of the 16th century, of Catholic life. Mm -hmm. And in a word, it has to do with the shift from virtues to commandments. Commandments, however, that became multiplied in terms of what the moral theorists call, or ethicists call, a deontology, a duty-based duty moral theology. Hmm. Secondly, he points out that whereas the virtues hold up a way of life, casuistry holds up a set of laws. And not one law or ten laws or a hundred laws, but many, many laws and norms. That, of course, called pe uh, caused people great consternation. For example, um, the example I, I like to give is during the casuist period, the, que uh, the question often came up, how many hours do you need between a cocktail party and dinner such that the cocktail party with hors d'oeuvres does not constitute a second meal on a fast day? Hmm. Recall on a fast day? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> You're too young. You didn't know that, but I did. Well, um, you know, uh, fine, a fast day with two meal, light meals that didn't constitute a full and right. one uh, full meal. Well, uh, could you, if you had the hors d'oeuvres continuous with uh -huh. the cocktail party, uh, uh, the full meal and the cocktail party back to back, that could be argued to be the full meal. But what if the cocktail party was one hour before? Right. What about two, Father? I had to go. Mm -hmm. I, I, my husband made me, uh, it was mm -hmm. important for his boss, mm -hmm. and we had to go, and we had the cocktail party, and everyone was eating the shrimp. And, uh, and then by the time we got to dinner, it, it was almost two hours. Did I commit a sin? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that kind of, uh, I'd call it scrupulosity, but that, that's a legal-based system that, much like civil law, demands constant refinement for the very problems which it creates. Mm. And then you get into the problem that uh, most characterize casuistry, 
of schools of interpretation. Mm. Uh, some people would have said, no cocktail party. Mm. Others would have said, well, one hour is okay, but no, not two hours, that's a mortal sin. Mm. You would have had laxes that it could have said, three or four hours, don't worry about it. Right. Uh, so you, what emerged were the schools of casuistry, laxus meant very loose, what they called tutsiris meant very safe, which was very strict, rigidity really. Mm. And in between, you had the groups that were represented by Dominicans and Franciscans, uh, Dominicans, excuse me, and Jesuits, namely the probabilists and the probabiliarists. Well, that gets too complicated. Let's just put the probabiliarists were on the side of the laxists, and the probabilists were a little closer to the uh, to being sh sure. So today, what would roughly be called a more conservative as opposed to a more liberal outlook on moral theology. You see it reflected in some of the issues today. So, but the most significant thing about casualty and what was wrong with it, there's really no reason to say what was wrong with it. It sustained the church for 400 years. It produced saints. Um, it, uh, St. Alphonsus Liguri being one of them, the classic one. But uh, the fact of the matter is, it disappeared overnight. When you think that a 400-year tradition disappeared roughly between 65 and 68, roughly, except in some small pockets. Mm -hmm. that there's really no use going down back to do an autopsy of casuistry mm -hmm. because it would be impossible to reinstate it. The man that tried to do it was Germain Grisey, the late moral theologian, a man of excellence, and revered by many, and rightly so. And you can look at his books. And uh, he began to try to answer all of the questions that could possibly arise today. Mm -hmm. And the books kept getting thicker and thicker yeah. and thicker. And before you know it, you're asking questions that, uh, for example, how much of the tainted money can a widow accept from her gangster husband. Mm -hmm. And then he gave answers. Well, uh, those kinds of questions obviously open up so much room for discussion that, um, yeah, uh, casualty is not going to come back uh, soon. And how would you describe again the virtue based approach? Well, that's something I've written on. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I have several books that explain it. Uh, my introduction to moral theology, but above all, uh, Christian. Uh, 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 good. Well, I can't. That's good. I can't remember the title of my own book. <laughs> but in any case, it's something about uh, Christian life and, and theological ethics, or something. In any case, it's about the virtues. Um, well, I'd just. I'd say I'd begin with. Um, the the seven virtues that are in the catechism: faith, hope, charity, prudence, justice, moral, uh, prudence, fort, uh, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And begin to talk about them. What mm -hmm. does it mean to be a temperate man? What does it mean to be a brave person? What does it mean to be a just woman? What does it mean to be a prudent Christian believer? And that opens up a field of reflection that is rich, uh, broad, and which connects with just about every authentic spiritual writing that exists from the sub-apostolic times 
to the Reformation, 1500 years, including saints of your tradition like Bernardine of Siena, St. Bonaventure, St. Bonaventure's, uh, both St. Bonaventure and Duns Scotus, um, but let's stick with St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure, his moral theology is virtue-based. Mm. It's well known. Mm-hmm. And the commandments... As is St. Thomas's, of course. Right, and, and the importance of the commandments that I know Veritas Splendor talks about Right, the rich young man coming to Jesus, and and modernity rebels against notions of commandments. Why why are the commandments important in guiding us? Well, uh, obviously the commandments are important uh, because uh, that's the easy. It's much easier to teach ten commandments than about fifty five. Which when you break down all the virtues, you kind of come up with fifty five virtues of the Christian life if you take mm. it. And uh, so, instruction in the moral life begins with the commandments. Pope Benedict, then Cardinal Ratzinger, explained why the catechism itself was uh, based on the commandments and not the virtues, and he said it's because of the patristic tradition, but more specifically the catechumenal tradition, that catechumens were given the commandments, and for the same reason. Because if you told someone interested in Christianity come and said, here are the 50 things you have to do, uh, it could have been off-putting and, uh, and impossible okay, for most people to wrap their minds around. And so the fathers taught based on the commandments. But when they explained the commandments, they explained virtue. Because if you tell someone, do not commit adultery, and the man says, but I have... Uh, strong desires uh, to sleep with many women, the answer cannot be the deontological duty-bound, don't you dare commit adultery. Mm-hmm. It can be, but it's not very effective. But if you can tell the person, how does Christ transform your life and every part of you such that you can become now um, conformed to your own wife and discover there uh, the fullness of uh, human uh, light and affection and human sexuality, which is an integral part of keeping the race going, and integral part is the essential part of keeping the race going, and that, that and built around the procreation of children as a unit of bond with one woman, uh, and that will in fact make out of you a chaste man. He doesn't have to worry about the fact that uh, other women uh, draw his attention. Mm. If you t- so, on, you know. So, in other words, the explanations are explanations about the transformative power of grace, not the threat. Mm. Don't do that, or else you go to hell. And uh, you, Saint Bonaventure. I mean, who better uh, shows this than uh, Saint Francis? I don't know. I haven't read. The whole of, I know this thick, thick uh, book that has all of the things that he's said or was recorded to say. But I've looked at it sufficiently to know. I'd like to know how often he talks about the commandments, but he certainly talks about what? Lady poverty, by which he means humility. He certainly talks uh, about uh, love, uh, love uh, for Christ, Christ on the cross, see how love. He talks about that a lot, doesn't he? Yes, he does, and uh, that's a virtue, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be a good thing to go through and discover 
the virtues in St. Francis of Assisi's writings or his, the, the things that he's said to have said. So, you know, the, uh, the, the virtues open up an aspect of Christian life that casuistry occluded, and people um, react to that, you know, because I have sympathy with people who become discouraged when their sins seem to linger and cling, or when the, what, what the church teaches seems oppressive. Humane Vitae simply said the obvious truth about barrier method contraception and for that matter chemical method. Namely, this sterilizes the mating act. Mm -hmm. And the mating act is not meant to be sterilized mm -hmm. as, as the witness of the world. If, if Adam and Eve and Eve had begun to contracept, we wouldn't be here. Uh -huh. <laughs> so. Um, and that's all it said. And people found it jarring. Uh, fine, okay, there were fine, huge problems that some of the dissenting theologians pointed out. And that's why Pope St. John Paul II said, well, we don't no need more you know, emphasis on, on how terrible contraception is or why it's a sin to do it. Uh, he, he, he pointed out his theology of the body. He said, look, uh, a fruitful completed conjugal act can be and is meant to be the foundation for a wonderful thing. It's called the family. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful thing. It's the family within the community, family to family. Mm -hmm. And af you know, as a result of that, as you know better than I, being closer to these organizations, there are all kinds of uh, groups in the church in the United States today that try to implement that in various ways as, uh, and to the support of families, mm -hmm. uh, couple to couple leagues and, mm -hmm. and so on. In other words, St. John Paul II said the answer to the misunderstandings about Humani Vitae is not to scream why it's a mortal sin to contracept. It's to show that couples who give themselves to the truth of what he called the full truth about marriage. And he was profoundly right and the divorce rates today prove it. The broken families today prove it. Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy to procure venereal pleasure. All the, the world knows that. All you have to do is you know, hear the stories about the internet and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. I mean, it's very easy to procure venereal pleasure. Yeah. It's another thing to enter into a communion of persons, his phrase, uh -huh. communio personarum, that accompanies a, a admittedly physical act that, because we're animals, God ordained <laughs> for right. the propagation of the race. Right. And so what is, has come to be known as his theology of the body, you know, he was doing the book, he gave the Wednesday yeah. homilies, was his virtue-based. Thank you so much. It's I been a great pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you.